Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody this morning. Um, as Miranda said just a second ago, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as a lead pastor here at the table. I know I was kind of looking around the room a little bit earlier, and there are, I know some new folks. I met some new folks on the way in, um, some faces that I don't necessarily recognize. And I said this last week, too, um, because last week was my first week back um, after sabbatical, so it's off for about eight weeks. And so it's entirely possible that we have some folks that have been here several times that I still haven't met if you weren't here last week. Um, and so if I haven't met you yet, I would love to be able to do that after the service this morning. I'll head out uh, to our new um, guest center table area, right? That We got that this week. Um, and so I'd love to introduce myself. Um, if you have questions about the church or anything that you hear, um, would love to just visit with you a little bit. Um, you know, Ronaldo talked about the, the, you can text welcome for those of you that are new um, to that number. And it's a, a number that's on the, the sticker somewhere on a seat back in front of you. But know that that's a great way to get a hold of us um, just on a, for any reason. Uh, you can, if you have questions or you just want prayer and things like that, it's a great way um, to reach out to us. Or if you just want to talk to somebody, um, you can text that number as well. And, and one of our, our staff Members will get back to you, um, and we want to just be able to serve you in any way that we can. For those of you that are new or newer, I really believe that this is the best time of year to come to a church because there are so many things that are new. We you know, roughly run on a semester system, kind of like schools, and so around the 1st of September, we kick off a lot of new things, and so you can jump in on the front end of things. You don't feel like you know, something has been happening for a number of weeks and things like that, and so we'll actually be talking more about that. Um, this morning and at the end of the message, you see lots of tables set up out there. We can get you signed up for a bunch of different things today, and so we would love to do that. But however we can serve you and encourage you in your faith development, we want to do that. Um, let me uh, just pray for us once again, and then we'll, we'll jump into the message this morning. So let's pray. Father, thanks uh, for your love and your grace that you extend to us. Um, God, thanks for the hope that we have because of Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would just, uh, as we spend a few minutes in your word today, that you would continue to meet with us. Um, God, that you would challenge us in areas of our life that, where we need to be challenged in. Or God, maybe give us a new perspective on uh, what you desire to do in us and then through us as well. And so Father, um, again, just through the work of your Holy Spirit, be at work in our hearts and lives today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So this is week two of our series called Church is a Team. And last week we defined what a good team is. That a good team is one where everybody contributes in a supportive environment where there is a greater goal that brings people together and pushes them forward. Now what's really interesting about that definition is that it actually comes out of like books on business leadership. But I mentioned this last week, when I hear things like that, that those are the things that make a great team, the only thing that I think about is the church, because that's the way that the church is supposed to be, and that's the way that the church is supposed to function. And so the challenge for all of us in this series is to not be satisfied sitting on the sidelines, but to get involved, because God has called us to be a part of what he is doing. So we're going to continue that thought this morning. Papa was a farmer. Papa is what we called my dad's dad. And he wasn't a farmer professionally, but he grew up on a farm. And like a lot of young men around his age did, he moved to the city, in his case, the city of Cincinnati, where I am from, around the time of World War II. You could take the young man from the farm, but you can't take the, the farm from the young man. 
And so for as long as I can remember, Papa always had a garden. And so from the time that I was really young, maybe five or six years old, he would pick me up in his Chevrolet S10 pickup truck and take me to work the garden. The garden that he had, I'm not really sure how big it was uh, at this point. It was a community garden, so it was shared um, sections among several different people, one of which was my other grandfather as well. We called him Grandpa, my mom's dad. So he had a spot in that garden too. If I were to guess today, I would say maybe it was 15 feet wide by 60 feet long. But as a five-year-old, it seemed like we had acres of land to work. So I can remember, armed with a gas-powered rototiller and a hoe, we went to work the land. And Papa would sometimes allow me to use the rototiller, even though as soon as I pulled that handle that engaged the blades on the front, it would literally drag me wherever it wanted to go. And so we would till the soil. Once all the soil was tilled up and it was nice and loose, then we would take our hose, and I had one that was just my size, and we would begin to make the rows. It had to be nice and straight, the dirt piled up just in the right way, and once we got the rows completed, then we could begin to plant the seed. A couple of little seeds in each hole, a few, several inches apart. And then finally, after a long day's work, and honestly, it was probably more than one day doing all of that stuff, we were finally finished. But the work had only just begun. I can't imagine how often Papa went back to check on the garden, because once we had planted the seeds, you still had to make sure that everything was watered the way that it needed to be. He would put out fertilizer at different points. He would put out um, spray things for, for pests and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that there were many times when he just went to pull weeds. But then after about a month, maybe six weeks, you would finally begin to see the results of all of your labor. But even then, the work wasn't over because you had to go back almost every single day to pick the vegetables so that the plants would continue to produce all summer long. Papa taught me something. He taught me that hard work over a long period of time consistently produces the best results. And I think we've lost that today. And no, this is not a what's wrong with millennials today message because the reality is I fall into the same trap too. It's what I'm going to refer to today for our purposes as the microwave mentality. See, I remember the first time that we got a microwave in our family. It was sometime in the mid-80s. And I know some of you are thinking there was life before a microwave. How did you heat up your Hot Pocket? Yes, we did survive without microwaves, and there was no such thing. I know uh, Mike's son back there, he's looking at me like, you didn't have Hot Pockets? We didn't have Hot Pockets. It was crazy, but we somehow survived. It just made life a little bit more difficult. You know, leftovers, you had to do everything on the stove or in the oven, so it's just a little bit more challenging. But then when the microwave came out, it revolutionized everything because all you had to do was push a few buttons and then within a couple of minutes, out popped your hot meal. It's really interesting. This um, last Christmas, I was at my grandmother's house. My grandmother still lives alone. She's in her 90s now. And we were going through some things. 
and I came across, for some reason she's kept this all, all these years, her, the manual for their first microwave. And I began to flip through it, and it talked about all of the virtues of the microwave, how great it would be, and how you could even cook a whole turkey in the microwave. I don't know that anybody ever actually did that, nor would you ever want to do that, but of course this manual from the late 70s said you could. Magic. Push a couple of buttons, and out pops your meal. And that's the way we want life to be. We want, uh, with just a little bit of effort, to punch a couple of buttons and then receive immediate results. Jesus once said that his followers are to produce fruit, to bear fruit. Cody actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago in John 15. Abide in me and you will bear fruit. I think when Jesus said that, there's two applications of that fruit. The first application is the fruit that God does in our lives. As, as God is at work in our lives, transforming us so that we produce what's referred to as the fruit of the Spirit or the character of God. So it's a change that God brings about in us. But what God does in us, he wants to do something through us too as he is changing us so that our lives rub off on the lives of other people around us. And so that they experience change as well. And that's the other aspect of fruit. And even recognizing that, I think oftentimes what we hope is that with just a little bit of effort, we can punch a couple of buttons and then magically things are different. That all of a sudden, without doing much, we don't struggle anymore and we're doing all of the things that we want to do. And our hope is that with minimal effort, the lives of people around us are transformed as well. And when it doesn't happen that way, we think, man, there's something wrong this is not fun. This seems like work. And I don't want to do it anymore. The problem is, hard work consistently over a period of time produces the best fruit. And so the challenge for us today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think like a farmer. Think like a farmer. Till the soil, plant the seed, water the plants, and then trust that God is going to bring about a great harvest. Last week, I talked about how we have been called for such a time as this. So we talked about that purpose, that what God wants to do through our lives is influence the lives of other people around us. Not only have we been called to do that, but we have been equipped to do that as well. And that's what we're going to talk about in the rest of our time together this morning. And so I want to point you to the passage that we're looking at, a couple of verses again today in the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. If you need help finding it, 1 Peter is towards the end of the New Testament. So if you just get to the end, Revelation, just back up a little bit, you'll find the book of 1 Peter there. So if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen as I read it. Or if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. In addition to the scripture is the notes you can follow along with. There's questions for further application that many of our groups use. Um, so lots of helpful resources there as well. So 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others. As, a good, as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, 
Let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let me give you a little bit of context for those verses before we really dig in. So the book of 1 Peter is written to believers, followers of Jesus, who have been scattered abroad as a result of persecution. So literally, these are people who have been forced to move from their homes as a result of the suffering that they're experiencing. So the primary purpose for writing this letter is to encourage these folks. And so Peter says in there things like this, don't be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. He said, you know, you should expect this. And then in the paragraph from the two verses that I read this, 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 just a second ago, he's talking about, here are some things to make sure that you, need, that you need to be sure that you're doing in light of the circumstances that you're facing. And so he says things like, be vigilant in prayer and love one another, which is really important because I think it's really easy for us in the midst of suffering to turn inward. And, and so Peter is saying, make sure you're still focused outward. And then the other thing that he says in the verses that we looked at in verses 10 and 11, he says, be sure to use your gifts. Use your gifts in serving others. Now those gifts that Peter is referencing there are what we would refer to as spiritual gifts. So let me give you a definition of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is an ability given to believers followers of Jesus, at the moment of salvation that they are to use to build up the church. I'll give it to you again. Spiritual gift is an ability given to believers at the moment of salvation that you are to use to build up the church. I'm going to break down that definition for us just a little bit, and I'm actually going to do it backwards. I'm going to start at the end and work backwards um, to the front of that definition. So it says that these are gifts used to build up the church. Now, When we say that, build up the church, that includes two things. First, it means that there are people that are added to the church. So the exercise of our gifts should result in more people coming to faith in Jesus and being added to the church. The second aspect of that, though, is that also as people come to faith in Jesus, they're understanding more of what it means to live a life for Jesus. So it includes those two things. And I've heard it explained this way. It's really easy to to kind of grasp it this way. So to build up the church means that we have more believers and better believers. So when we use our gifts, more people should be coming to faith in Christ, and people should be better at reflecting the life that Jesus has given to us. So these are gifts given to believers at the moment of salvation. So what that means is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have something to give. Because it's been given to you, you may not know what it is, but it has been given to you at the moment of salvation. So you can't say, I don't have anything to give, because God has said he has given us, through his grace, gifts that we are to use. And so the question is, well, what are those gifts? What are these things that we may have been given? So Peter here, he references gifts of speaking and service. But there are three other lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. There's a list in Romans 12, there's a list in Ephesians, and a list in 1 Corinthians. Now what's interesting about all three of those lists, they're all written by the same person, the Apostle Paul. 
They also include some of the same gifts, so there's overlap in all three of those lists, but also at the same time have uniquenesses in all of those lists as well. And within those lists, we read things like the gift of giving, service, mercy, encouragement, evangelism, teaching. There's a bunch of stuff there. Now, how I look at those lists and how I read them is not that Paul is trying to come up with an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, but I think he's just saying, hey, spiritual gifts are in these different areas or categories. You almost think of them in that way. And so it's, the question is, what area am I gifted in? Oftentimes, those gifts will fit with our natural abilities and certainly uh, fit, are to be used according to our personalities and our wiring. And so as a result of that, the unique way that that gift manifests itself might be different among all of us because we're different. But I want to give you a fundamental principle related to spiritual gifts. You cannot think, I will wait to serve until I know how I'm gifted because you determine your giftedness in serving. So you can't think to yourself, well, I'm not really sure how I'm gifted, so therefore I don't know what to do, so I can't do anything, because the way that we determine how we are gifted is actually through serving. So that's my encouragement, is to get involved, and you will learn how you are gifted. I always use this illustration in formed. So I know we've got some new folks, so formed is what we refer to as our pathway to partnership. So if you're interested in learning more about the church, um, and becoming a partner, or in what a lot of other churches refer to as membership, that's kind of what formed is for. You don't have to become a partner at the end of that experience, but that's everything you need to be able to come uh, become a partner. And we are actually doing, so a quick plug for formed, we're doing formed again in September. It's held on Wednesday nights here on campus for four weeks. And so if you're interested in that, we can get you signed up uh, today. The registrations for that are um, live and active, and I'd, I'd love to have you, if you're new to the church, join us for Formed. And so in Formed, we talk a little bit about spiritual gifts. And so if you've been through Formed, you've heard me use this illustration before. But I want to give it to you because I think it's really important to understand. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about areas of service. And so you've been thinking about getting plugged in, serving somewhere, not exactly sure what to do, but as we have talked about these things, you said to yourself, you know what, I don't hate children, so I will sign up uh, to help in our table kids ministry. Now, we're pretty smart, though. We've learned some things over the years. And we're not just going to hand you, who has never served with children before, the curriculum and throw you into a room and say, good luck. We will provide you with some opportunities to just watch and get your feet wet a little bit the first time. And so the first week that you show up and are assigned to a class, you really don't have anything to do. You're just there to watch. And so as you're watching the things unfold that first week, the person steps to the front of the room and begins to teach the lesson. And as that person is teaching the lesson, you can't help but think to yourself, man, you know what, this is really cool. But if I were teaching this lesson, I would have said this, or I would relate it to, to this thing that happened in my life. If that's the way that you think, it probably means that you're gifted in the area of teaching. But not everyone is that way, though. So somebody else has the exact same experience that you do. They said, hey, I don't hate children, so I'll sign up to help and table kids. They go in the first week, they watch the lesson and don't think anything of it. Think it was great, just, but you know, aren't thinking about it at all, really processing it. But what the second person does is they see a kid who's sitting in the back of the room by themselves, and immediately they go and sit next to that child. 
It's probably an indication of giftedness. Maybe it's in the area of showing mercy or something like that. Somebody else, again, the, the exact same experience. I don't hate children, so I'll sign up to serve. And they go, listen to the lesson, don't think anything about it. They see that other person go sit with that child in the back of the room who was sitting there by themselves. And their thought is, man, I'm so glad that somebody else did that and saw that because I would have never even seen that myself. So they go through the first week. Then they show up the second week. And as the kids begin to make their way into the room, this third person says to themselves, hey, where's Johnny and Sally and Amanda? They were all here last week. They're not here this week. I hope they're okay. I need to reach out to them and and encourage them. I'm going to write a note letting them know that we miss them. That's probably an indication of how you are gifted in the area of encouragement. So you can see how it's the same job, same responsibility, but our own wiring and the giftedness that God has given to us shows up in different ways. And so you can't think to yourself, well, I don't know what to do because I don't know how I'm gifted. I'm not going to do anything. You find your giftedness in serving. So that's why everyone who is a follower of Jesus has something that they can give. And you've got to understand this too. Every gift is important. Every gift is important. You can't think to yourself, well, I only have the gift of serving. Or I only have the gift of encouragement. You can't think, well, my gift is not important as other gifts. It's it's easy to fall into that trap thinking that certain upfront gifts, like maybe teaching or evangelism, that those are more important than behind-the-scenes gifts like serving. That's not the case at all. In fact, the Apostle Paul addressed this in his writing. He said that the church is like a body. And as how a body has many different parts with many different functions, for the body to function the way that it was meant to function, all of the different parts have to function the way that they were meant to function. And that's the church. For the church, this body to function the way that it was meant to, all of the different parts have to carry out their function, and that allows the body, the church, to function the way that God meant it to function. And understand this, there is no such thing as an appendix in this body, right? There is no body part that you just cut out because we don't know what it does, and you just go on living the rest of your life. That's not the way it works in church, so don't use that as an excuse, God has given you something, a spiritual gift, that you are to use to build up the church. Every single gift is is important. And know that it is your responsibility to steward your gift well. So you have a responsibility to steward what God has given to you well. Jesus told the story about the talents. A landowner was getting ready to go on a journey, and so he entrusted some of what he had to his servants. And so to the first servant, he gave five talents. To the second servant, he gave three talents. And to a third servant, he gave one talent and then went on a journey. When he came back, he was reconciling his records with those servants, and he went to the first servant, and the first servant said, Master, here's the five talents that you gave to me, and five more. I earned these five more with the five talents that you entrusted to me. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. He went to the second servant who had been given three talents. He returned those three talents to the master and said, Master, I've also earned three more talents with the three talents that you've given to me. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. The third servant who had been given one talent went back to the master and said, Master, here is the one talent that you gave me. I dug a hole and stuck it in the ground because I knew I didn't want to lose it. 
And that, to that third servant, the master said, you are wicked and lazy. At the very least, you could have put it in the bank and earned interest. Take what he has and give it to somebody else who has more. The first time that I took Greek classes was when I was in college. So Greek is the language of the New Testament. It's Koine Greek is the, the form of Greek that the New Testament was written in. And it is a dead language. So modern-day Greek is a little bit different than Koine Greek. And if you've ever had, which probably most of us have, have had foreign language classes, you know, sometimes they're really hard, and, and some people can really struggle. And I think it's really hard learning a dead language that's not spoken anymore that has a different alphabet. So you've got to learn all the Greek characters and the sounds that they make and all that kind of stuff. So Greek is really hard. Well, at the end of a long semester, our professor was talking with us just kind of encouraging us. And, and I'll, I'll never forget what he said. He said, guys, we're it's a class of guys. He said, you know, it is your responsibility to sharpen the tools that you have been given so that they can be used to their maximum potential for God. That's your responsibility, to sharpen your tools to their mac- maximum effectiveness. He said, what that means for some of you is that you're going to make it through this class And you're going to graduate, and you're going to go on into ministry doing exactly what God wants you to do, and it's going to be wonderful. But for some of you, what that means for you to sharpen your tools to their maximum effectiveness, you have to go on beyond what we offer here. And you need to think about going to seminary. And that day, as he was telling us this, it was like he was talking to me. I had thought about seminary a little bit, but it was that comment on that day that he didn't know what he was really saying. That's what solidified the decision that I made to move from my hometown of Cincinnati to move to Dallas to attend Dallas Theological Seminary 23 years ago tomorrow. The reason that I know is tomorrow is my mother's birthday, and that's the day that they left me in the parking lot. One of probably, if you ask my mom, the, the best and worst days of her life. Um, But I always remember that. I'll never forget that experience. It's our responsibility to sharpen the skills that we have been given so that they can be used to their maximum effectiveness. And I bet many of you have never heard that before. And that's because people like me don't say that. We talk about what God wants to do through us, which is really important. We talk about the mission that God has given to us, which is really important, but rarely do we ever take the next step and say, you know what, it's your responsibility to sharpen your skills throughout your entire life so that you can be used for your maximum potential by God. And so especially for those of you that are seasoned in your service, let me challenge you with that. What are you going to do, what are you doing to sharpen your skills so that God can continue to use you to your maximum potential. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility as a church and leadership to provide opportunities for growth. We do, but at the end of the day, it is an individual responsibility that we have to sharpen those skills. So how do we do that? Many different things that we can do. Number one is that it starts with spending time with God. So it's that regular spending time with God through scripture reading, through prayer. That's where God shapes our hearts. And and that's probably the the, the most important thing that we need is for God to shape our hearts so that we can continue to be used by him. 
But it's beyond that, too. It's also ministry skills and abilities. And so maybe the way to sharpen those skills is through reading a book. You, some of you will remember this several months ago. I mentioned that Ronaldo on our staff, he was up here earlier. He's a guy who's always got a guy. Well, I'm a guy who's always got a book. And so if you need a book, a resource to read, come find me and I will give you something to read so you continue, continue to grow and develop. Developing those ministry skills, maybe things like going to conferences. But you know the great thing about the world that we live in today is there's a ton of great stuff that's available to us for free on the internet. Many of you probably aren't aware of this, but we have access to uh, what's called Right Now Media. And so what Right Now Media is, um, it's, I've heard it described this way, it's kind of like the Netflix for Bible studies and ministry resources. And so we can give you access to that. If you want access to that, just email me this week and say, hey, Bill, Get me on that list, and I can send you an invite completely free to you because as a church, we have a subscription to that, so anybody in the church can use it. Lots of great resources there. If you want to be a better kids leader, there are resources for that. If you want to be a better student leader, resources for that. If you want to just learn about spiritual leadership, there are conferences from years past that you can watch and just be encouraged, learn more about leadership, all that kind of stuff. Listen, content is not a problem in the world that we live in. We will never run out. And there's tons of great resources there. You just need to take advantage of it. And so again, for you seasoned folks who are serving, don't just wait for us and say, hey, here is the leadership training that we're going to provide for you. Because it is an individual responsibility that we have to grow in our abilities. And so if you need help finding those resources, please let us know and we'll point you to those things. But understand, in your service, in whatever you do, perspective is always important. Go back with me to, to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Peter says this, If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides. So when you serve, you are serving whatever it is that you're doing, you are serving in the strength of God, from the power of God. You're serving people in the name of God and with the power of God, regardless of what you do. There's a man who once came upon three bricklayers. And he went to the first bricklayer and asked him, he said, what are you doing? And the first bricklayer said, well, I'm building a wall to support my family. The, went to the second bricklayer who was doing the exact same thing as the first bricklayer was doing, and he says, what are you doing? And he said, I'm laying bricks. And then he went to the third bricklayer, again, who was doing the exact same thing as those first two bricklayers were doing, and he said, hey, tell me what you're doing. And the third bricklayer said, I am building a, a cathedral to the glory and praise of God Almighty. When you serve, you are serving people in the name of and with the power of God. Don't ever think, I'm only opening a door. Don't ever think, I'm only parking a car. Or I'm only passing a basket, or teaching a class, or leading a group. Because whatever you do, you are serving people. In the name of God, 
with the power of God in the hopes that the grace of God would be at work in that person's life and would ultimately bring about transformation. And I know we've got lots of new folks who are here, and that's the reason that we do what we do. We want to serve you, and I hope that we serve you well so that you experience the grace of God in your life that brings about transformation, so that your faith comes alive. Because we believe that the best life that we could possibly live is one that has the hope of Jesus in our lives, that brings about transformation in us and gives us hope for the future. That's why we do what we do. But always remember this. Think like a farmer. It's consistent effort over a long period of time. That's what produces the best fruit. Till the ground. Plant the seed. Water the plants. And trust that God's going to bring about that harvest. Will you pray with me?